Well, hey, if I don't know you already, my name is Glenn, uh, Glenn Barnes. I'm one of the pastors here um, and just thrilled to be with you this morning as we take these next uh, few minutes together to open up God's word together. And so I encourage you to grab the message note that you, uh, that you received when you came in. If you're watching online, you can always uh, find those uh, right there at fbclodi.org. Uh, grab those message notes um, and we are in this series uh, called Made for This. Um, so it was April 15th, April 15th. 15th, 1912, when the unthinkable happened. No, it wasn't tax day. April 15th didn't become tax day until the 1950s, but maybe some of you guys know what happened on April 15th, 1912. That was the day that on her maiden voyage from England to New York, that the great Titanic struck an iceberg and started to sink. They said that she was an unsinkable ship. Um, And so that only just added to the confusion to the over uh, 2,200 passengers on board that were running, screaming everywhere, including Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, um, who, along with others, uh, were thrown into the freezing Atlantic Ocean. Um, And you probably know that story. But what you may not know is on that same night, in that same region, that there were also two other ships that were nearby. One was, ironically, the SS Californian, the SS Californian. She was only 20 miles away, but when all of this happened, she had just turned off her radio for the night. They saw flares in the distance, but they didn't really, you know, kind of put it together what it was. They didn't turn on their radio. They didn't go uh, to investigate. Uh, some of them actually saw Titanic's lights go out when she went underwater. Um, they thought that they were just turning the lights out uh, for the night. Um, the Californian was in such maintenance mode. They were in such maintenance mode that they missed this historic opportunity uh, to, to make a difference uh, in these lives. And their crew wrestled with it for the rest of their lives. There was another ship, the Carpathia, which was actually almost 60 miles away, but their radio was on. Maybe you've heard this before. Their radio was on, and when they got the SOS that something was wrong, they fired up their engines immediately. And in the dark, navigating in and out of icebergs, they went full speed ahead, full power for three hours. When the crew arrived, many of the people that were on the Titanic had already perished, but the Carpathia rescued 705 people alive out of the ocean that day. Why? Because the Carpathia was on mission mode. They were on mission mode. They were willing to look beyond their own comfort, willing to look beyond their own agenda and to come to the assistance of people that were in need. So there were two boats. One was in mission mode. One was in maintenance mode. And it begs the question for people like me and people like you, is your life in maintenance mode or is your life in mission mode? Are you living your life on mission? Because last week, you may remember that we introduced our annual theme for 2022, and the theme is made for this. And the idea is ultimately all of us are made by God, and we are made for God. Uh, our, ultimate, our ultimate creation is to, to glorify God, and there's no better way that we glorify God than when we live our life on mission for him, when we live in mission mode. The problem is, and if you're like me, you know this, maintenance mode is just so easy, 
right? It's so much more comfortable. It's so much more uh, convenient to, to just kind of stay in that, ma- in that maintenance mode. Now, I believe that we are most fully alive, that we are most living that abundant life that Christ talks about when we are living with kind of that mission focus. But, but you also know that we have these things. We have kind of tugging against us, this persistent uh, tug of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil that tug at us and say, oh, it's no big deal. Let that be someone else's problem. You don't need to worry about that. You deserve a break today. And so that maintenance mode is just so much easier than that mission mode. And I bring all this up today not to make you feel guilty. That is definitely not my goal. It doesn't work in the long term anyways. But my goal this morning is for us to start to think a little bit different and us to ask the question, uh, what, if anything, are some secrets? What are some things that can help me keep Christ and serving him and serving others on that mission? What are some things that I can do that kind of keep that in the prominent place that it deserves in my life? And I, I keep that passion that I deserve. And what are that, that, that serving Christ deserves? What I want to do today is I want to point to a, an uncovered secret, an uncovered secret for, for the last 2,000 years has helped Christians live their life on mission. I know for me, this is the thing that I have to come back to time and time again. And today, what I want us to see is how the Apostle Paul says this mysterious truth, this uncovered mystery, also helps him stay on mission as well. So our passage is from Colossians chapter 1. I encourage you to open your Bibles up, power up your uh, device, get to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of remind you, big picture, what was kind of the main problem that was happening when Paul wrote this letter to Colossae. Almost all of the New Testament letters have kind of a specific issue, many other issues, but a specific issue uh, that the writer writes to address. And in Colossae, there was a big problem that Paul writes to address in the book that we know as as Colossians. And and the approach that the Colossians were uh, going with was what you might call Christ plus. Christ plus. You see, the Colossians had gladly accepted the gospel when they first heard it. They were actually pretty young. They were new to the faith. And and like I said, they accepted it right away. But almost before long, they began adding all kinds of different philosophies and and ideas and, and rituals to their faith. And it became not just Christ, but it became Christ plus all these other things. Christ plus legalism and keeping all these rules, or Christ plus these spiritual experiences or these religious experiences that you had to have. Christ plus kind of a a prejudice or exclusionary attitude. Christ plus politics. Christ plus uh, power. All these kind of things. And they started out well, but before long their mission starts to drift and their focus starts to drift. It reminds me a little bit of this great passage in C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Screwtape Letters. You guys familiar with the book Screwtape Letters? It's actually 80 years old this year. It was written in 1942, and it is still just as relevant and just as fresh um, today as maybe in the day that it was written. And if you don't know this book, I encourage you to take a look at it. It's a a fictional conversation between a senior devil by the name of Screwtape, and he's writing to kind of some of his under demons. And and one of those is his nephew, Wormwood. Wormwood. And in one scene, uh, the the worst possible thing happens to Wormwood in in that he's supposed to be kind of tempting and and keeping this person away from God. But Wormwood's uh, person that he's supposed to be tempting 
actually becomes a Christian. And it's the worst thing that could happen to this demon. So Screwtape writes to him and he says, you know, uh, that all is not lost. There is still something you can do that will tempt this man to keep his focus on other things. And it's kind of a Christ plus approach. This is what he writes. He writes, my dear Wormwood, the real trouble with your patient is that he is merely a Christian. What we want What we want, if they become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of Christianity and. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychic research. Christianity and astrology and anything else. And you guys, that kind of describes so much of what was happening with the Colossians because they were chasing after all these other things. And because they'd let their focus drift, their mission drifted as well. And so Paul says, no, the solution is Christ alone. The solution is a focus that is Christ, not only first, but Christ alone. Let's check out what he says to the Colossians. I'm going to kind of pick it up right in the middle of a paragraph in in verse 25. Colossians 1 verse 25 says this, I have become, talking about the gospel and, and serving Christ, he says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery has that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So what's interesting in Colossae, one of the things that they would chase after is what they called these mystery religions or these secret religions. And the idea was that there were kind of secret, hidden away things that if you found the right pathway, you could discover these things and they would bring enlightenment. And so Paul kind of takes this same idea and almost kind of tongue-in-cheek, Honestly, almost like he's kind of making fun of it a little bit. He says, I've got a mystery too. But here's the thing with his mystery. It's been revealed to all people, to both the Jew and the Gentile. This mystery has been uncovered. And it's not just a mystery that's limited to some people. It's available to all that believe. And so that's why he talks about it as a mystery. But in verse 27, he says, to them, uh, to, the, to, to them the, the, the Jews, God has chosen to make known among also the Gentiles. Look, it's for everybody. The glorious riches of this mystery. And here it is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Well, I want to pull that passage apart. But before we do that, I, I got to share kind of a, a story with you. And it's a, it's a parable, if you will. It's kind of an, an old Southern parable. And it's about this grandfather, this granddad, and his grandson that are sitting on the porch one day sipping iced tea. And they're out in the country. And underneath this porch, there are 10 hound dogs. So they're up there drinking their iced tea when suddenly a rabbit runs by. And one of the dogs wakes up, starts to to howl, starts to bark, starts to do all this stuff, and starts chasing off after that rabbit. Almost immediately, the other nine dogs also wake up, and they begin to start barking and howling, and they take off also in the same direction where this rabbit had just gone. After a minute, the grandpa says to the the grandson, he says, well, let me just tell you what is about to happen. 
He says in about 10 minutes, those nine hound dogs are going to come back. Those nine hound dogs that started, started a little late, they're going to come back and their tails are going to be dragging and their tongue is going to be out and they're going to be exhausted and they're going to crawl back under uh, the porch and they're going to go back to sleep in the shade. That's going to happen in about 10 minutes. In about 20 minutes, that first dog is going to come back as proud as can be with the rabbit in its mouth. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. And the grandson says, Grandpa, how in the world did you know that? And he said, let me teach you a lesson, son. He says, here's the deal. He says, that first one that caught the rabbit, he's not a better rabbit dog. He's not in better shape. He's not any faster than those other nine dogs. But that first dog had seen the rabbit with his own eyes. He saw that rabbit when it went running by. The other nine, they woke up, they hadn't seen the rabbit, but they just wanted to bark and make a commotion and, and you know, go, go about chasing after something and just being a part of something that was going on. And, and so because they hadn't seen it, they came back and before long, they gave up. And in some ways, you guys, this is Paul's point to the Colossians. And I think this is God's point for us today. If you want to live your life on mission, if you want to be successful in that mission, it starts first and foremost, with seeing Christ. Before we even get to all the stuff that we do, the question is, what are we chasing after? What have we seen? And if we've seen Christ, and if we know Christ, he's going to strengthen us, and he's going to help us. But if we're just barking and howling and chasing after the crowd, before long, we're going to give up. And before long, we're going to get tired. And this is the exact attitude that Paul has. He says, so keep your eyes fixed on this. Paul says it like this. This is the mystery that has been revealed. Christ in me. Christ in me. And he says, this is the hope of glory. He says, this is the mystery that's, that, that I've got to come back to all the time if I want to keep my life on mission. That it is actually Christ, the creator, the sustainer of all things that actually lives and is alive in me. And it's not just here that, that Paul talks like this. He's got this kind of focus, this, this laser focus on his relationship with Christ. And you see it time and time again throughout the scriptures. Let me just share some of what he shared, like with the Corinthians. With the Corinthians, he said it like this. He says, when I came to you, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, I didn't want to know anything else except Jesus and him crucified. And to the Philippians, he says it like this. Philippians 3, he says, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered, count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, right? He says, everything else is just a loss compared to, to knowing and keeping my eyes on Christ. Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. In other words, it all starts with keeping your eyes on Christ. You've got to see the rabbit. You've got to know what you're chasing after. And Paul said you've got to begin your mission with keeping your eyes on Christ. And, and Jesus says this same kind of thing as well. When he's talking to his disciples, he explains it to his followers like this. He says, look, I am the vine. I'm the vine. You guys, you're the branches. If you want to accomplish anything, you stay connected into the vine. 
So this year, the year of made for this, you're going to hear us talk a lot about living a life on mission. What does it mean to love our community? What does it mean to love your family? What does it mean to be on mission here in this church and in this world? We're going to talk a lot about a life on mission. But it always has to start with Christ first, right? Because that's what it's about. Otherwise, we're just chasing after the wrong things. And so this mystery is Christ in you. And when Christ dwells in us, he starts to change us. We're actually called a new creation in Christ. And with that comes this new mission that we live on. And uh, where Paul turns, (coughs) excuse me, in the next couple verses, is Paul uh, says that if Christ is transforming your life, it's also going to transform your mission, but it's going to transform your message, your ministry, and your motivation. Your message, your ministry, and your motivation. And you know how this works for, for preachers, right? If they all start with the same letter, it means it must be from God. So you're going to want to write this stuff down. Um, all right. First of all, we see that when Christ is in you, when Christ is in you, it leads to a transformed message. It transforms uh, the message. And this is important for us as a church, and it's important in your life individually. Look at what Paul writes in verse 28. He says, he, talking about Christ, he is the one we pro claim. So in other words, he says our ministry is never about Christ plus. We don't proclaim Christ plus. We proclaim Christ alone. I love the way uh, Pastor um, uh, John Ortberg writes about this because this, as I said, has great implications not only for our personal life, but also for us as a a church. Because there are so many different ideas, so many different agendas out there, many of them very good things. But like Paul, the heart of the mission always has to come back to Christ. This is what John Ortberg wrote when he uh, talked to his church about it. He said it like this. He said, we we don't proclaim self-improvement or trying harder or career enhancement. Those are all good things. He said, but we don't proclaim a system of beliefs. We don't proclaim a political agenda or a set of traditions. We don't proclaim the superiority of church people over unchurched people. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ because he is the light of the world, because he is the creator and sustainer of all that exists, because he is the head of this church. We proclaim Christ because he is the kingdom bringer and the sin bearer. He is the death defeater and the life giver. He is the grave robber and the risen savior. We are betting the farm. We are staking our lives. We are devoting ourselves fully to the crucified and risen Christ. Why? Because we proclaim Christ. That is our message. Christ and Christ alone. And that's what Paul says. He says, when this mystery gets worked out in your life and Christ is in you, he says, before long, it changes the way you talk and it changes the the things that you talk to people about. And he says, your message becomes Christ. He said, we proclaim uh, him uh, who is Christ. But not only does it transform our message, it also transforms our ministry. It transforms kind of the outlook in the way that we look at people because suddenly our focus just isn't on ourselves, or our focus isn't even on just people in church and kind of other people like us. Our focus is on everyone. Our focus is on everyone. Verse 28 says this. It says, um, we admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that's not a bad translation, but it's actually even more powerful. It's even much stronger in the Greek. If you want to bring that passage up there on the screen. And actually in the Greek, the original, it says it like this. It says, we admonish 
everyone. And we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So in that little sentence, you have the same phrase three times in that original language. It's the words panton anthropos. Panton anthropos. Panton means all. Anthropos, like anthropology, means humans. So Paul says, not only do we proclaim Christ, but who do we do it to? Well, our message and our ministry is to all humans. It's to all humans. You see, when Christ lives in you, your mission becomes all humans. There is no one that Jesus does not love. There is no one that Jesus did not give his life for. Who did Jesus come for? Who did Jesus die for? Panton Anthropos, for all humans. And so that becomes our mission as well, right? Our eyes are open to all kinds of different people. So at the beginning of the year, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I go back to kind of the beginning in my Bible reading. And, and so I started over in the book of, of Matthew at the beginning of the year. And, and I can't tell you how blown away I am that this idea that Jesus came to kind of throw open the gates to all different kinds of, of people is just, you see it time and time again in the Gospels. This idea that Jesus came for all people. So just real quick, in, in Matthew chapter 1, it's actually the genealogy. It's the the history of where Jesus came from. But even when you read through that list of where Jesus came from, it it includes outsiders and outcasts, people like Ruth and Rahab and Bathsheba. And then you get to Matthew chapter two, it's the Christmas story. Who are the first people that actually come and recognize that Jesus is the king? It's not Jewish people. It's not the respected religious people. Who comes? It's these Gentile wise men from the east who saw it in the stars, right? Because he didn't come just for the people here in, in Jerusalem and Judea where he was born, but he, he came for the, the, the wise men in the east as well. And then you get to chapter three, and it's Matthew chapter three is Jesus's baptism. And a lot of the Jewish leaders are there, and they're taking a lot of pride in the fact that they are the true children of Abraham. And Matthew three reminds them that actually God can make children of Abraham, sons of Abraham, out of the rocks if he wants, because anybody by faith now can become a son of Abraham. Then you get to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus starts to call his disciples. Again, he doesn't go to the religious elite for this, but he goes to the outcasts and the forgotten. He goes to fishermen. And then he calls a zealot. And then he calls a tax collector. People that would have been on opposite spectrums of the society, opposite spectrums politically, religiously, and he lumps them all together in this same small group. Why? Because Jesus' mission was for panta anthropos, for all humans. You are not going to to lock eyes. You are not going to set your eyes on a person that Jesus does not love. And Jesus doesn't care about. And so that changes us because when Christ is in us, his eyes start to become our eyes. You know, this is getting more and more difficult, however, right? We've actually been talking about this a little bit. We mentioned it last week. Um, But as people, we tend to be more divided than ever, right? So there's a real kind of us versus them mentality um, that is out there that keeps us from seeing people as as people that Christ love. There's actually kind of, kind of more academic, but there's a social science, um, uh, social scientists have kind of coined a new phrase uh, that you see sometimes. It is the phrase RCO, or they use it with the initials RCO. RCO actually stands for the repugnant cultural other. What a terrible phrase that is. The repugnant cultural other. The idea is people are so angry that they don't see 
people that are different than them as just someone that's different than them. They see them as a repugnant cultural other. And yet, Jesus reminds us that he didn't come just for the people that look like me and talk like me and live where I live. He came for Panta Anthropos, for all people. And that changes our mission. You know, one of my favorite people in all of the New Testament is kind of an unsung hero. He's really kind of a behind-the-scenes character. His name is Barnabas. And if you know the story of Barnabas, when the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, right? Paul is kind of this great voice for Christianity. When the Apostle Paul first becomes a Christian, they're not going to accept him into the church. People are not going to actually welcome him into the church. And it actually makes sense because he'd been an enemy of the church. He'd, he'd harmed the people. He'd persecuted the people. And so they were like, nope, we are not going to let him into our church. But Barnabas comes alongside and he says, hey, remember, we believe that the gospel can transform any life. The gospel can change anything. And so Barnabas starts to argue, hey, let's, let's at least give him a chance. And Paul, come, and you can sit here by me first. And, and Paul, these are some people that I know and get to know him. And if you think about it, we might have never had the, the most powerful voice for Christianity in all of history, other than Christ himself, we might not have ever had that voice if there wasn't someone who was willing to see someone who was formerly his enemy now as his brother. And that's the power of Christ. Because when Christ is in us, it changes our message. Our message is Christ alone, but it also changes our ministry. It's to all people. But not just that, it changes our motivation. I told you they all start with the same letter. It's got to be amazing there. So uh, Christ leads us to trans, uh, uh, in you leads to a transformed motivation, a transformed motivation. Look at verse 29. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend. The word there is the word that we get our, our English word agony from. He's like, it's agony. It's so hard, but I hang in and I hold on. How do I do it? I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. In other words, he says, you see, our energy for this whole thing is not my power. It's Christ's power in me. Our energy comes from Christ's power, not my own. You guys, I can't tell you how many times in my life I have experienced this. I can't tell you how many times I felt down, I felt discouraged, I felt defeated, I felt, it, felt out of vision, I felt out of energy. And when I pull back and I recognize, I recognize that's because I'm always depending on my energy and my vision and my ideas and my thoughts. But then I remember something. Wait a second. I've seen the rabbit. I know who I am chasing after. I'm chasing after Jesus Christ and Christ in me. And suddenly there comes this amazing supernatural power and energy to carry on. It actually talks about this energy, uh, Christ so powerfully in us. That word there, energy, is, is you've probably heard this before. It's the, the Greek word dunamos. It's where we get our word dynamite. It's an explosive power that comes to those who put their trust in Christ. It's a power that is beyond our own. And so all of this leads to the question, are you living your life in maintenance mode or are you living your life in mission mode? If you're struggling with that, if maybe you've never lived on mission or maybe your mission has drifted a little bit, can I just suggest the very first step is to return your focus to Jesus Christ. Actually, there's this great scene in the, 
the book of Revelation. It's actually kind of a sad scene in uh, the letters to the early churches there. There's one of the churches, it's actually the Ephesian church that has got this lampstand that represents Christ's power and Christ's work and God's word there. And they're, they're, this church is actually in danger of losing their lampstand. You guys are going to lose your lampstand. And it's not because of all the terrible things that they're doing. The reason that, that Jesus gives them that they're going to lose their lampstand is he says, you've lost your first love. You, you, you lost your first love. You become distracted. Now it's not just Christ alone, but it's Christ plus all this other stuff. And you're missing the mark and you're missing the mission. If you're struggling with this, if you're wanting to understand what it looks like more, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Open up those gospels. Read those stories. Talk about Jesus. Listen about Jesus. Sing about Jesus. Let your eyes be fixed on Christ alone. Like I said, this is so important for us as individuals, but it's also really important for us as a church that our, our message and our ministry and our motivation would, would be Christ-focused. And I am so thankful to be a part of a church that that's our heart. I say all the time, you maybe heard me say this before, that, that we are not a perfect church by any stretch. Don't go thinking we're perfect. But at least there is a common heart in this church to press after Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, God is at work. God is at work in your life. God is at work in this community. God is at work through this church, not because of our power, but because of Christ's power. In fact, one of my favorite things in this job that I get to do is I get to hear from people all the time, all the amazing things that you guys are doing in your ministry for Christ. And I wanted to just kind of wrap up this morning's message by sharing a few of those with you. In fact, three times in the last, oh, week or 10 days or so, I've gotten messages from different people that have just were so encouraging to me about the difference that this church has helped make in their life that I thought I've got to share these with you as well. Because when we put Christ first and the message of Christ first, what happens is the mission starts to work and people's lives are changed. And so the first one was actually a text message I got. It was, came in the form of a, a prayer request and it was from a, a woman in the church that was facing some, some challenging family things and kind of a scary health thing. And um, so she decided that she was gonna remind herself of how much God had already done in her life because she was facing this big, challenging, scary thing now. She wanted to remember all the things that God had already done in her life. And so she texted me and, and these are the things that happened that she's been a part of this church. She said, uh, I know that Jesus said that he can, can do this, this thing that we were praying for. She says, I'm claiming that God is too good for me not to believe. And then she starts to re- recount these things. Yeah, I've seen that, that God has reunited my family. I'm free from alcoholism. My troubled soul has been delivered. I saw him start my grandson's heart in the delivery room after 90 seconds. My mental health has been restored. And so I am believing God again. And those are all things that happen in the family of God here at First Baptist Church. Another woman wrote to me and she said this. It's a text she said. Uh, She said, hey, Pastor Glenn, my husband and I will be celebrating 20 years of marriage this May. And we would like to do a vow renewal ceremony at First Baptist at FBC. We were wondering if you would officiate for us. Yes, I'd be happy to do that, but that's not the point. The point is this. 
FBC, she writes, has been our home for the last 10 years and has been instrumental in helping build our family's faith and strengthening our marriage. Thank you so much. I am not exaggerating when I tell you that coming to this church saved our marriage and the outpouring of love and support that we received when our daughter had cancer was a light in the darkness that we needed desperately. She writes, FBC is home and its people are family. That's not because there's anything so great in you guys. It's because we've seen Christ and we're chasing after Christ. And when you see Christ and you're chasing after him, you know what happens? It becomes contagious. One more. This is a note I, I got just, or we got just this last week about the church. And, and this is from a longtime FBCer. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, my wife and I are truly blessed to be a part of FBC. Since our marriage in 1987, God has used this church and its people to support us, encourage us, challenge us, teach us, and sustain us. FBC's influence on us is uh, us on us is a part of our spiritual DNA. I love this. He says it was not luck or fate that brought us to FBC, and it is not habit or comfort that keep us here. All of you will never see. All of you will never see the little and the big results of the work you do. Yet it is obvious to me that we are all blessed by the work that, that, that he is doing in you. He is clearly using all of you to share his love and vision with us so that we can share his love and message with the world around us. You see what happens? You become a lifeline. When you start to, to live for Christ and he starts to come through you, people are going to notice that. Not every person, absolutely not. There's going to be some that reject that. There's going to be some that find it you know, hard to come close to. But what we're going to see is the power of God beginning to work through you. The message is simple. It's Christ alone. Our ministry, our, our focus is obvious. It's all people. And our, our power, our motivation is in Christ. And you guys, after all, you were made for this. This is what we were made for. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for a mystery revealed, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that that would be our focus. Here as we're still kind of at the start of this year, Lord, that we would keep our focus and our heart clearly on you. I pray that you would work. I pray that you would work in those that are, are feeling discouraged or kind of overwhelmed by these things today. Maybe they're just not feeling it. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and, and give them the comfort and the support and the strength that they need. Help us, Lord, to take those steps, not away from you, not stand still, but to take steps toward you. You are the one that we love. You are the one that we serve, and we give you this day in Christ's name. Amen.